Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton. I'm the founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Ween, senior pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. He's also a Transforming Community alumni, which means that he and I have been in relationship for a long time. We know how to have fun in a conversation, and we are looking forward to having fun together today. Well, hey, friends, we are here again. Episode seven. Ruth, I can't believe we are already at episode seven. This has been so much fun. Such a good time. Yes. (laughs) Well, uh, so in this episode, we're going to look at the art and practice of spiritual discernment. And so I want to ask right away why do you call it both an art Mm -hmm. and a practice? Well, because discernment is very personal. It's very creative. Once you learn the basic moves and the basic dynamics of discernment, you practice it in your own unique, creative way. So I don't like us to see discernment as a one, two, three, easy step thing, and we all do it the same way and all of that. It's not linear even most of the time. Um, Once you learn the moves and the steps, they, you know, you move in and out of them. It's like a dance. I, I see it as being like a dance, and it's a dance in which the Holy Spirit is leading. We're following but the practices actually help us to open to the spirit and to give the spirit the opportunity to work and to move and to initiate the dance with us. Um, but then, you know, there are real moves. There yeah. are real steps and moves, and there are real dynamics of discernment that we can actually learn. And again, in that way, it is like a dance, because when you're learning how to dance, you spend some time really paying attention to the moves, and it's not beautiful at first. Right. And it doesn't feel like you're flowing and being art- artful at all at the beginning. <laughs> you know, but the idea is that once you learn the steps, then you can give yourself to the dance, and it becomes this creative thing that you're just in the flow of. So that's how I experience discernment, and I think it truly is both an art and a practice. I love that dance metaphor, and it reminds me of a time where many years ago, Mary and I took dance mm-hmm. lessons because we were going to this thing called the President's mm-hmm. Ball. And so yeah. it was like, it wasn't like just dancing. You mm-hmm. had to learn dances. Absolutely. And at first it was awkward and clunky mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. laughed, but then when we actually did all the lessons yeah. and when we got to the President's mm-hmm. Ball, we had such a blast yes. because we were just moving around the dance right, floor right. without thinking mm-hmm. about our steps. And right. so I love that, that, I love that that's a part of this word discernment mm-hmm. yes. that can sound so serious yeah. and like mm-hmm. you're bound to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Discernment, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> so a very serious word, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah. So um, before we get into the primary moves mm-hmm. of discernment, which actually are, um, I mean, there is a movement to mm-hmm. it. Tell me in your mind what the difference is between decision-making and discerning. Mm-hmm. Decision-making tends to be something that we do out of our humanness, so we can make it very cognitive. It's listing the pros and the cons. It's thinking really hard about it, and there's a lot of pressure, I think, too, in human discernment because, as you said, we got to get it right, you know, and it's all about us. I mean, I think human decision-making also is all about us and how well we're going to do it, thinking it through and gathering the information and, you know, listing pros and cons. And Um, So I think the main difference has to do with uh, whether it's guided by our own human thinking or whether or not we're finding a way to open to the Holy Spirit. And so when we use the term spiritual discernment, when I use the term spiritual in front of any word, 
it means that I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. And I do think it's important for us to define that term because in our culture, the culture is using the word spiritual all the time, right. you know, to refer to the day at the spa, you know, to yeah. refer to all sorts of meditations and activities. And that's fine because it means that our culture is attuned to this issue of spirituality and the part of us as human beings, it is deeply spiritual. But when I use it in, in this context, I literally mean of the Holy Spirit, yes. the third person of the Trinity. And so a lot of times our human decision-making, whether we're Christian or not, doesn't have any room in it for the Holy Spirit. So to call it spiritual discernment means that we are finding a way to open to the Holy Spirit. Truth is, I think that people who aren't Christians can practice discernment. Yeah. They can be discerning people. Um, it has to do with sort of your gut and your willingness to go with your intuitions and things like that. But when we put the word spiritual ahead of it, we really do mean that it's it's of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And we as Christians see that as the third person of the Trinity. It's the presence of Jesus Christ mediated to us in this moment. And so spiritual discernment is about opening to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think that uh, distinguishes it from human decision-making in a pretty profound way. I agree. Mm -hmm. And I also think that it allows the Holy Spirit to lead and initiate mm -hmm. versus the loudest person in the room exactly. or the most powerful person mm -hmm. in the room. Yeah. And, and that's, to me, in my experience, decision-making ends up, well, we all kind of chime in mm -hmm. and then one person decides. Right, right. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. Less or than... when it's personal, we just when it's a personal discernment that doesn't involve other people, we're just reliant on how we can mm. think it through. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, which is still a very human way of of approaching it. So walk us through uh, the movements. Mm -hmm. Well. Discernment begins in what I would consider to be a very unlikely place. And I will say, by way of encouragement, well, I don't know if it's encouraging or discouraging to realize that the first move is the hardest yeah. and the most challenging. And that is the prayer for indifference, Whew. which in our culture sounds negative. It sounds like it means I'm apathetic and that I don't care and I don't have any passion. But that's not the case. In, in the area of discernment, indifference is actually an incredibly positive term because it means that I'm indifferent to anything but the will of God. So I'm indifferent to matters of ego. I'm indifferent to matters of personal comfort, personal advantage. Um, I'm indifferent to whether or not, you know, I get credit for it. I'm, you know, I'm indifferent to anything but the will of God. God's will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. That is what indifference is. So you can see that in the language of discernment, I mean, indifference is a powerful thing. And in fact, it's not something that we can accomplish on our own as human beings, because most of us don't technically or don't typically walk around indifferent we have our strong opinions we have our agendas we have uh, the, the ego drive we have the security that we really want to have for ourselves we have lots of human things that we want and so to get to a place where we are indifferent to anything but the will of God is the most challenging aspect of discernment and so you might be wondering well how in the world do I get there you know and really all we can do is is pray for it and seek it and be honest with God and say, you know what? I'm really not indifferent yeah. to anything but the will of God. I really want that new job. I really want that promotion or that raise. I want what I'm going to get out of that. Um, I really want what my ego is going to feel when I get that promotion or whatever. Um, or we just have our personal preferences about what we like and what we don't like. And those are very strong within yeah. us. So um, indifference is something we pray for. Yeah. And then oftentimes we have to wait. Um, now, this is not a term you find in Scripture, but there are prayers of indifference in Scripture that we can witness and learn from. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, is really one of the best examples of indifference in Scripture. When the angel visited her and said, this is what's going to happen to you, you're going to have a child, but you know it's not by any human action. Well, I mean, that was not going to be convenient for her. 
that was not that was probably going to ruin her love life. I mean, there was a great yeah. possibility that her love life would be ruined. Um, she would go through, um, be, probably be putting out, being put out of her community. So it was a tough word that she got from yeah. God. But what was her response to the angel? Let it be. Let it be with me. me according to your will. So that's that's a prayer of indifference. Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane is a prayer of indifference when he wrestles with God and he, you know, sweats these great drops of yeah. blood wrestling with whether or not there was any other way. I mean, the, the thing there was Jesus is saying, yeah. God, is there any other yeah. way for us to do, do this? this? You know, there's got to be another way. And so they wrestled it down to the mat and yeah. Jesus finally prayed the prayer of indifference, which was not my will, but thine be done. So there's incredible biblical precedent yes. for this prayer of indifference. So that's the beginning. And it might lead us into a place where we have to wait for a while. And you until, have to be honest, right? Yeah, I you mean, you really do. You yeah. can't pretend right. with God that you're more indifferent than you are. Um, and so you pray and you wait. And so that can feel like a, maybe sometimes a dark and confusing time, ex- except you know it's the right place for you to be, to be waiting for indifference. And then from there, there are other prayers that we pray. There's the prayer uh, for wisdom, which I believe can't really be prayed very effectively before the prayer for indifference, because if we don't have indifference, then our prayer for wisdom can become something sort of like a rigged election. Right. You know, like, I know what I want. I'm going to make sure I get it no matter what. So... We come to that place of indifference, and then we're ready to pray for wisdom, which the scriptures are very clear, um, often is uh, foolishness to this world. It's often foolishness to our human wisdom, and so we have to be willing to die to our abil- to our you know ability to look wise in other people's eyes. We have to be able to die to these inner dynamics of our own agendas in order to receive the true wisdom that is from God that often will go against human wisdom, which is one way you can actually recognize God's wisdom sometimes, is that there's some aspect of it that goes against human wisdom. Yes, yes. And we have to be okay with that, you know? Um, And then from there, I love to bring in the prayer of quiet trust again right here in terms of the way that we pray in indifference because, again, we're coming back to to Psalm 131. It's a good thing we've been practicing solitude and silence, right, where we've been giving up control because we know the dynamic of that prayer. We know what it is to rest in God and to trust that God's will is the best thing that can happen to us under any circumstance because we're resting into a loving parent, and we've learned that in our solitude and silence. And so then we can kind of drop into that place of quiet trust and openness and receptivity and see what God's going to do. So that's, to me, the big, that is one of the biggest aspects of discernment. Then from there, when you really are that wide open and receptive and indifferent to anything but the will of God, then you can start to gather information and gather the facts and um, the figures and the pros and the cons. You can do all that. Um, and you want to do all that. You want to have the real facts of the situation. So you gather facts and experiences and you pay attention to everything and you do it without judging. And that's another um, ability that we cultivate in solitude and silence because in solitude and silence, we are just with God with what is. And we don't judge it. We don't try to fix it. We trust God with it. So again, you see how these disciplines sort of build on each other. Uh, You can't really enter into discernment at this level if you haven't been practicing that surrender and abandonment that you're experiencing in solitude and silence. Um, But now you're willing to just notice everything without judging and to just let the information come. And then you also want to notice the more subjective elements of what you're experiencing. So that would include your own deep desires. And we talked about desire. So when you're in touch with your deepest spiritual desires, now you can allow that to be a part of what you're discerning. And so 
you can either ask yourself, what do I really want? Or maybe a good spiritual director or a spiritual companion will ask you, what do you really want? And that'll give you courage to to say that. Um, We pay attention to our calling, what we do understand now about our calling and how God's been moving in our lives and sort of the trajectory of our personal history, because we're talking about personal discernment right now. Um, And then we also pay attention to the dynamics of consolation and desolation, and we could really go on and on about that. Um, But consolation and desolation are inner dynamics of the heart where we notice whether something leads us towards God, leads us towards that which is good and that which is of God, or we notice that something is life-draining and leads us away from God and maybe leads us into a place of confusion or rebellion or turmoil, things like that. In my body, mm-hmm. I look at consolation as things that open me mm-hmm. up and and lift me up, yes, move me right. towards expansiveness towards God. Mm-hmm. And desolation are the things that... I you furrow, yeah, yeah, I furrow tight. my brow, yeah. I tighten mm-hmm. my, and mm-hmm. I go down yeah. into the darkness. Yeah, exactly. What are the things that move me toward openness? Mm-hmm. What are the things that, that close me down? Yeah. And this is another place where definitions can be helpful because discernment is about discerning between good and evil from a biblical standpoint. That's the biblical language. And in our, in our day, the word good doesn't mean much, but in, in the biblical sense of that word, it means that which leads us towards God or that which is from God. Yes. So when we use the word good and evil in the discernment process, we're talking about something that's pretty hefty. You know, what leads me towards God? What is of God? And so that I can move towards that. Um, evil is the same concept in reverse. It's what leads me away from God, what is not from God, what is not of God. And so when John says to his disciples in in 1 John, he says, my little children, test the spirit so you can tell what is good and what is evil. I mean, this is a mark of Christian maturity that we're able to discern between good and evil so that we can give ourselves more fully to that which is good in our lives. And um, so discernment is it's something that we all need to be cultivating, both as an art and as a habit. That's another way we could look at it is that it's a habitual way of looking at life to notice where God is at work so that we can align ourselves with God's purposes or to notice what moves us away from God's purposes and puts us sort of on the outside of what God is actually doing. And so there's a lot of biblical language around discernment, even though it sounds a little woo-woo sometimes, right? <laughs> that's right. I love, your, I love the woo. Woo-woo. Uh-huh. Everyone knows what that means. Mm-hmm. Woo-woo. Yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, gosh. Okay, so we're talking about personal mm-hmm. discernment. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's the there's the prayer for indifference. There's the prayer for wisdom. There's the gathering of facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and noticing the subjective elements yep. um, in the deeper parts. And then typically as we start to pay attention with that, to, the, to all of that, and hopefully we have some community around us that can walk with us in this too, I really do suggest that we have, that we're cultivating a spiritual community around us where this kind of experience is something that we can process yeah. um, routinely with yeah. people who are also very experienced in these dynamics. But often when we start to pay attention on these levels, then a way forward emerges or some clarity, or it could be that we're weighing out a couple of, of um, you know, possibilities. There's a set of questions that we can be asking ourselves, and that's one of the things that helps us to gather the data. Um, Questions about, you know, whether or not Scripture has anything to say about what we're dealing with, paying attention to Scriptures that God sort of brings to us during this time of discernment, uh, paying attention to these deeper dynamics, paying attention to the overall direction of our lives. Um, But also, even at the beginning, 
what is the specific question that we're trying to discern? For me, that's been really clarifying Mm -hmm. to really drill down into that that question. Yes, exactly. Because if we we stay pretty foggy and cloudy about that, then we don't even know what we're doing and we can just get lost in the fog. You know, it's very good to, you know, to clarify the question. Um, and then um, one of the little tech, this is kind of a technique, but it's, it's really effective, is that once a way forward starts to emerge, or maybe there's two ways forward that you're trying to discern between, you can actually take some time to walk around as if. And yeah. This is a technique, but it really is powerful because you can uh, pretend that you've made the decision, but in your own heart. You haven't informed anyone yet. You haven't actually done anything that has to do with that decision, but you walk around as if you have made this decision, and you actually see how it feels. You're actually trying yeah. it on for size, yeah. and you're paying attention to consolation and desolation and whether or not this choice enables me to be my most authentic self, whether or not it frees God to continue doing God's work in me, whether I'm more open, as you said, more open to the work of God, more expanded more uh, in touch with my authentic self in God. Um, so if, if that's true, then I think there's a great deal of freedom to just say yes and move towards it. If there's two decisions that you're weighing, then you can take a few days to walk as if walk around as if you've made one decision and see how that goes on the inside. Then take a few days to walk around as if you had made the other decision on the inside and to see how it feels and whether or not it really does lead you to a place of being more abandoned to God, more surrendered, more um, free to be your authentic self in God or whether you experience desolation in that. Um, And then, you know, of course, the whole process um, concludes with the Nike commercial where they say, just do it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that discerning the will of God is not the end game. Right. Doing the will of God is the end game. And so we can actually do all the discernment we want. But if we don't actually do the will of God, then we've stopped short of completing the process. And, you know, oftentimes, honestly, what God leads us to is often risky. Yes. On some level. And so it's one thing to know that this is the will of God inside yourself, but it's another thing to take the risky steps that perhaps following God will require. And that's why I emphasize that. Many times I hear Christians say, um, I feel a peace about this decision. Mm -hmm. And I think I know what people mean by Mm -hmm. that. But then there's also a part of me that goes, Hmm. I, I, um, do you mean you think it's all going to work out really well? Mm-hmm. Or do you mean, I feel a peace with, yeah. with whatever happens. Right. Can, can, can you talk to that? Because mm-hmm. I think if we mean, I feel a peace that everything's going to work out great. Yeah. Is that the peace that yeah. God gives? No, I think we're talking about the peace that passes understanding. Right. You know, and there is a peace that passes understanding that scriptures talk about that has to do with a piece that's way down deep. And I actually think this is an aspect of consolation. Like if we wanted to really go into talking about biblically, what does consolation consist of? One of the things that consolation consists of is this piece that passes understanding. So even when it's a difficult decision, perhaps, we still have the piece that passes understanding. If it is risky and there is a chance that it could all go south or blow up in our faces, we still have the piece that passes understanding. And that's very, very different than... Um, peace in that ego part of ourselves. And so um, as people become more mature in this practice of discernment, one of the questions that we raise and that needs to be reflected upon is, 
in what part of your being does the peace dwell? Does the peace dwell in that ego self, that false self part? And now we're in the deep weeds, right? Yes. Because now we're assuming that we've been doing the practice of self-examination yep. and we have some sense of what the true and the false self is. Yes. Because it's possible that the consolation can rest in the ego part of me that's pretty excited that I'm going to take this promotion and get the strokes that I'm going to get from taking <laughs> yeah. this promotion. It can feel like cons- it, it consolation. Can, but it's consolation to the false self, yes. not consolation to the true self in God that's moving towards greater and greater surrender and abandonment. Yes. Um, to, to God rather than my own human efforts to secure, you know, my life. And so um, that's that's the deep weeds. It requires some real spiritual and psychological maturity to even be able to tell the difference about where the peace is resting. Is it resting in the false part of myself or is it resting in the truest part of myself? Whoa. And that, and we really do need community. That's the Parker Palmer, yes. you know, experience. You know, he had a community around him that was able to say, what do you really want? Do you really want this job? What is it that's drawing you to it? Yeah. And, you know, he was able to, because he's Parker Palmer, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he was able to articulate the fact that really it's the false ego part of myself that wants this job. So my picture can be in the newspaper, Yes. you know, and the spiritual friends were able to say, well, isn't there an easier way for you to get your picture in the newspaper, you know? I love that response. <laughs> I know. So can I, can I share a quick story yes, about please. discernment? Mm-hmm. So our staff team just went through mm-hmm. a discernment process about location. Yeah. So we've been meeting in this one space for about uh, two and a half years, and this other space came open, and we toured it, mm-hmm. but then there was this sense of unease. Mm-hmm. So uh, we got a lease offered to us, mm-hmm. so it was ours for the taking. But none of us felt, I, I got a phone call mm-hmm. from two different staff members, yeah. and I felt it too, this yeah. sense of unease. Yeah. So instead of signing the lease, we took some more time, mm-hmm. and we actually went through the movements together. Yeah. We spent a lot of time on the mm-hmm. prayer of indifference because we realized yes. none we of us were. Yes, none of exactly. us were. Some of us wanted it mm-hmm. for the wrong reasons. Some of us didn't want it for the wrong reasons. But we went through this process. And we, at the end of it, we honestly came to indifference. Mm-hmm. And, and we really did. Yeah. And it felt so great. It's a freeing feeling, isn't it, to be indifferent? Yes. And then a week later, we got contact by the, mm-hmm. contacted by this place, and they told us that they had rented it to someone mm-hmm. else. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and, and we had moved forward to say, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. we're, we're ready to go. But when I got the email, mm-hmm. um, I didn't feel devastated. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I mean... There's some worry because yeah. now it's, we're back to square one, but it's okay. Yeah. You know, and, and there's even a sense of, all right, well. well this must not have been God's yeah, will then, so we're okay. Yeah. yeah. And our staff team, to a person, said, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What happened in us by going through the discernment process yeah. was so important for our team and our trust in God that it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what happened. Right. And that win, that yeah. was, that's as a team. That's such yeah. a win. Well, it's transformation. Yes. It, it's, it shows how the practice of discernment is actually transformative. Yes. Because it clears out the junk and the garbage and the obstacles to giving ourselves to God so that we get to this place where we are in surrender to yeah. the will of God, which is a place of great spiritual freedom too, by the way. Yes. Um, that's another characteristic of consolation is is inner freedom, freedom to be our most authentic self in God. So, you know, the biblical basis for that would be, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yes. So if we're feeling all bound up and tight and constricted, um, we're not there. You know, we're not indifferent to anything but the will of God. We're not experiencing consolation when we're hanging on to stuff and grasping at stuff. And for me, that's <clears throat> one of the one of the ways I can tell I'm mm-hmm. not indifferent yeah. and I'm not trusting mm-hmm. is when I'm 
real yeah. worried. I'm mm-hmm. looking for the email, That's looking right. for the answer. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we just got to get out right. of here. We got to get to mm-hmm. there. Anything that starts with, we got to, we got to, we got to, it's urgent. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, right, right now. Then I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's a place for urgency, but... Um, there's there's a greater place for trust. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. All right, so we've talked a lot over the previous episodes about spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. And I think in the life of a discerning leader, we are blind to many things, many false self things and many ego things. So talk about the importance of spiritual direction again mm-hmm. in the life of a discerning leader. Yeah. Well, uh, Thomas Merton uh, talks about, you know, this, the importance of a leader having a place where you bring everything, your true self, your false self, and you lay it all out there, and that the role of the spiritual director is to help to, to guide a person to the place where God is, in fact, leading them. That that is, that is the whole purpose of spiritual direction, is that we would be more given over to the will of God in our lives. And oftentimes, because of our blindness and our rationalizations, or or sometimes not even knowing what the right questions are. You right. know, a spiritual director will ask you questions that you wouldn't think to ask yourself, and probably many other people wouldn't either. And so um, spiritual direction can be important for everyone, but I think it's more important for leaders than for most. And in fact, the tradition of spiritual direction actually emerged out of the Catholic Church, where it was assumed that people who were involved in caring for the souls of others would have someone who was overseeing the care of their own soul. So in some ways, it's really meant for leaders. It it developed for leaders. Right. And you know, your novice director, the one who helps you to move in your process of spiritual transformation. And then when you are involved in caring for other people's souls, you still have somebody who's helping you to pay attention to your own soul. And that that's a part of what it means to be um, committed to spiritual leadership is to make yes. sure that this is a part of your own soul care, even while you're providing soul care for others. And so I am absolutely convinced that spiritual direction is an essential practice for discerning leaders. And uh, it is a practice of submission, Yes, which is really interesting for us as Protestants because Protestants don't do submission pretty much at all. <laughs> um, and on top of that- We're protesters. We are protesters. We're known by what we protest. And on top of that, then within Protestantism, there's this thing called the independent church. The independent church is independent, right, from everything and everybody. So they don't even have a denomination or any other group that they're accountable for or accountable to. And so when things go south, they don't have any place to go because there's no accountability. There's no structure that they're a part of that is just in our DNA in, yeah. in, a, in a pretty sobering way. When I sit with a Catholic director, for instance, the kind of independence that we experience in Protestantism is utterly unknown. Right. They look at me like I am crazy right. because th- this kind of independence is is unknown yeah. in, our, in, in, our, in our big Christian tradition. Yes. And so... I find, and I have found, that having a spiritual director is a great way for me to practice submission, um, submitting to someone else's leadership. You know, when I'm in a leadership role myself, to have a place where I submit to someone else's leadership and guidance, yeah. it's so transformative for me. It's humbling in the best possible way, and it keeps me clean, you know, and clear to have someone who I'm allowing to see every part of my own life, and I'm inviting them to offer me guidance. And I'm even giving them some spiritual authority in my life oh, yeah. and saying, um, you know, how you see this and how you would guide me is is really important in, in my own journey. There's a book that you recommended 
in the transforming community that's a novel mm-hmm. and it's fantastic. Yeah. It's called Glittering Images. Mm-hmm. It's got you know some sexy parts in it. It's got some sexy parts uh-huh. in it, so yeah. heads yeah. up and beware. Mm-hmm. But it's mainly about the dynamic between a spiritual director yeah. and a young um, pastor, essentially, mm-hmm. who's got some major ego right. issues. And who has not really confronted their false self yet. Right. The glittering image is the mask right. that right. he wears to be the successful clergy person. Yeah, and the dismantling of that, the, the removal of that glittering image yeah. is is the whole premise of the book. And it is fantastic. It's, yeah, it's penetrating, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because so we can all see ourselves in it. <laughs> maybe we give a reserved um, recommendation mm-hmm. to read glittering yeah. images. Mm-hmm. Beware. Yeah. Uh, but it's but it's, it's really very good. powerful. And Father mm-hmm. Darrow, the spiritual mm-hmm. director, is just so yeah. he's mm-hmm. so good. He's so good. Uh, so um, uh, I have also heard you say once we've done the discernment, once mm-hmm. once we've decided. Now it's time to let the strategic planners go, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. so strategic planning is not a bad word right. for those of us who discern. Yeah. But can you just compare and contrast maybe the order with which mm-hmm. we typically want to move versus where we should move mm-hmm. with discernment and yeah. then planning? I think one of the really interesting things about life in the church right now over the last 30 years or so is the fact that we have... Um, brought business models into the way that we run our churches. And I am the first to say that I think there is so much to learn from secular business models. And I think many, many churches have been very uh, poorly run for lack of any learning as it has to do with um, how to run things, you know? So we've, I've benefited, we've benefited from secular writings on how to run a business. But I think what's happened in that is that we have gotten away from discernment. And so we've gotten the order wrong. And so rather than discerning and giving space for the Holy Spirit, we actually start with strategic planning and we bring the strategic planners in and we throw up all of our ideas on the newsprint. And, you know, we say, well, this is strategic. So of course we're going to do it. Well, I don't think that there is a one-to-one correlation there at all. Just because it's strategic doesn't mean it's the will of God at all. Right. And so I think discernment is the first is the first move. Um, and we, ha- we create a lot of space and a lot of seriousness around discerning and doing the will of God. But then once we have done that discernment, then we can bring in the strategic planners because some of our discernment is going to lead to things that need to be done quite strategically. So if you're going to, if you've discerned that God is leading you to, you know, expand your physical plant, you're going to have to have some good people who right. know how to do campaigns and how to build buildings and all of that. You can't just do that without that kind of planning. Right. But when we get the cart before the horse is the problem. So I remember one time in our early um, existence as the Transforming Center, there's always been a lot of strategic opportunities that we could walk into um, in 15 years of being in existence. But I remember one time in particular having a a day-long planning retreat. And um, the day consisted of what I now see as being sort of like strategic planning. We had the newsprint that could stick on the walls and yeah. you know, you know yep. the process yep. we all do. And we threw up all these ideas and and it was very interesting because at the end of the day, we sort of folded up the newsprint and I gave it to my assistant and I asked her to type them up. Well, nothing ever happened with all that planning. We had thrown up every good idea we had and all of them were great and all of them were strategic and all of them were possibilities. But the interesting thing was that none of us had any good energy for any of those ideas. And so nothing happened with those ideas. Now, I will say that now, 
um, we've been we've done some of those things that ended up on the newsprint 10 years ago. I mean, that was really probably 10 years ago. But it was interesting to me that the strategic planning process didn't catch us sort of at the heart level where God's spirit is witnessing with our spirits about things that are true. They were good ideas, um, but they felt sort of exhausting and weighty and like it was beyond, you know, what, what God really had for us. And so... Um, Paying attention to that, that was desolation. Yes. The fact that no one had any, any life-giving energy at all for it, and in fact, we all left that meeting feeling drained, that's paying attention to consolation and desolation. And so part of the challenge of corporate discernment, which is what we're talking about here, is um, that you need to have people around your leadership table who have actually been practicing personal discernment because they're well-versed in these inner dynamics of consolation and desolation, and they're comfortable then bringing that into the corporate discernment process. If we hadn't been a group that had practiced personal discernment, um, it would have been hard for us all to hold in a place of paying attention. Yes. Because you could just dismiss somebody. If you if you didn't value and respect the inner dynamics of consolation and didn't trust it, you wouldn't pay attention to it in the group. And in fact, it, it's possible that it could have been dismissed quite quickly, you know. Right. But because we had a great deal of respect for these inner dynamics of consolation and desolation, it was really interesting and important to us to notice that there was no energy around all the ideas we had thrown up there. That's a really important mm-hmm. question to ask mm-hmm. at the end of any planning day, I think. Right. All right. How, mm-hmm. how, how does our spirit rest yes. on, on these ideas? That's right. That, exactly. You know, I don't have any. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Looking at this, if I have to yeah. do this for the next three that's months. That's right. Exactly. Ugh. I won't have Sabbath. I won't, yeah. I won't be living a lifestyle that's sustainable. I feel like it's, you know, it's more than we can do at our current staffing. You know, while it sounds like a good idea, and on that level I can get excited about it, deep inside I'm just not feeling it. I like the way that you said it, though, you know, how does this rest in our spirits? Because I want to be very, very clear that consolation and desolation are not mere emotions. Right. And and, and so some people might be thinking, wow, she's talking about a very subjective, touchy-feely, woo-woo kind of experience. (laughs) And I'm saying no. Consolation and desolation are actually um, inner dynamics of our being that God has actually built into our our physical selves uh, to help us to discern. And so Deuteronomy 30 is a really ideal place for us to land biblically to say, to remember that God through Moses said to the people of Israel, see, I have set before you life and death. Now choose life. And in fact, Moses goes on to say, you know, God, God giving him the words, he goes on to say that it is not across the ocean, that you should have to send somebody across the ocean to go get it. It's not up in the heavens that you have to go way up there to get it. No, it is in your mouth and it's in your heart. In other words, it's in your body. Yep. It is a visceral experience that you can pay attention to if you're in touch and in tune with your body. So there's another place where you know our bodies and our spirits come together as a oneness, not as compartments of ourselves. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you, Ruth. This was so good. I think uh, this is such a gift for leaders to be able to say there's a better way other than frantic decision-making, urgent mm-hmm. planning meetings mm-hmm. that have <laughs> to result in up and to the right all the time. There's a way of resting and coming together and trusting in the Spirit yes. to lead us mm-hmm. to where we need to go. Yes. And it might seem surprising, but when there's a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And so you wrote this fantastic book called Pursuing God's Will Together. And um, it's all about discernment. Mm -hmm. It's all about how to do this personally and corporately. So you can find that on the show notes. uh, If you would like to, if you are thinking about like this would be fantastic for our community listeners, uh, I would say read that book. 
So mm-hmm. thank you, Ruth. Episode eight, we're going to talk about for the sake of mm-hmm. others. We're going to talk about this great Robert Mulholland phrase, being in Christ for the world versus in the world for Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything to tee up about that? Well, we are going to shatter dualisms yes. in episode eight. And it's really important that we shatter this one, the dualistic approach to formation versus mission. Right. The one so, or the other. Yeah, we're going to shatter that. So you will not want to miss that. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and we will see you in episode eight. Thanks so much for listening today. There are so many podcasts out there, and we are grateful that you've chosen to spend this 30 minutes with us. Thank you so much, Steve, for such a great set of questions and for taking your own step of faith to join a transforming community so long ago in 2011. If you're a pastor or a clergy person or hold a leadership position in some Christian ministry organization, and if you want to forge a stronger connection between your soul and your leadership, and if the topic of today strikes a chord with you, um, consider this as an invitation to learn more about the transforming community, a two-year experience of spiritual formation for pastors and Christian leaders. Our experience is grounded in scripture. It's animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation in community. It's informed by the richness and the diversity of our Christian heritage. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, just visit our blog, transformingcenter.org, find the show notes for this episode, and we'll also have links there to the other resources that we have mentioned in this podcast. Thank you for listening. We pray that these resources and this conversation will be an ongoing blessing for you in your life and leadership.